loss helps us define our lives. By allowing our grief to matter, we discover our own strengths and embrace our authentic selves. Welcome to Good Grief with your host, Cheryl Jones. Get ready to be inspired to create a deeper life to make your time on Earth much more meaningful. Now, here is Cheryl Jones. Hello. I'm your host, Cheryl Jones, and I want to welcome you to Good Grief, where we talk each week about the transformations that can come from loss. Today, I'm talking with Cheryl Crowder, MFT. Cheryl is an existential humanist psychotherapist with over 35 years of experience in the field of depth psychology and human consciousness. She integrates her experience as a depth psychotherapist with her personal journey as a cancer survivor. Cheryl began working with people in various stages of a cancer diagnosis after her own experience. She advocates for humanizing cancer care by attending to the need for the emotional healing of a cancer diagnosis. Her book, Surviving the Storm, a workbook for telling your cancer story, was released by Oxford University Press last month, March 2017, and she's currently working on a second book on humanizing healthcare for clinicians. A former board member of the Women's Cancer Resource Center, she's presented numerous talks and workshops on living with the uncertainty of life-threatening illness. And you can find more information about her events, etc. at CherylCrowder.com and CancerSurvivorSupport.com. Welcome, Cheryl. Thank you, Cheryl. <laughs> it's funny to I, I was I, know, I was saying to a friend recently, here. you know that that I never met uh, someone with my own name when I was young, and now I know several people not only with my own name but s- who spell it the same. So yes, yeah, spelled with a C, exactly. It's very unusual. So we'll we'll have to just uh, <laughs> go from Cheryl to Cheryl here. Yeah, Cheryl exactly, to Cheryl, exactly. And and full disclosure, we do know each other from the center, and and. Um, you know, our friendship, and I'm just so pleased to congratulate you on your book. Oh, thank you so much, and I uh, appreciate all your all your input and help, and uh, as you know, you've uh, contributed uh, with some of your thoughts and ideas and your experience to the second book, so you will be uh, appearing on pages <laughs> of book two. <laughs> Live and in person, huh? <laughs> exactly, uh, exactly, yeah, mm-hmm. You know, uh, obviously, the first book, which was is for people, mostly for people who've had cancer, and their and secondarily their surrounding communities, um, very important and wonderful. And part of me thinks um, almost more important humanizing healthcare because the things that seem to traumatize the clients I work with often are. Uh, in inhumane care. Mm-hmm, 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 mm-hmm. So I look well, forward to that one as well. Yeah, yeah. Well, the title of the second one is Wholehearted, and I feel like that is what we we all need. To those of us that are clinicians um, that work with people, um, you know, not only in cancer but in any kind of healthcare, um, we need to to come from a wholehearted place and bring ourselves fully and. You know, the work is very demanding and, um, you know, deals with a lot of loss and deals with a lot of trauma. So um, I truly believe, and it's really how I'm educated and how I'm mentored for all the years of my work, is that really it all starts at home. It all starts with me. It all starts with how I am present 
with who I'm with. And um, so I think that's really the essence of, um, you know, what I feel is important to bring to, um, to bring, every time we go into that room, you know, we're beginners, regardless of, you know, the 35 years, the 40 years, the 10 years, it's, it's always, it's always new, it's always, this is a different person, this is who you're with right now, and I really enjoy that, because you just never know, I mean, what's gonna, what's gonna come in the doors and windows Mm -hmm. of our, of our time together, so, yeah. Absolutely. And then um, you said uh, it starts at home. It starts with who we are. And so Mm -hmm. let's start there with you as well. And can you just share, um, you know, your own experience a little bit with cancer and what got you doing Mm -hmm. this massive work that you're doing and um, the work, both with clients and with the writing um, that starts from a very personal place. And that's clear in the book too. Um, But could you talk a bit about, you know, how that experience unfolded for you? Sure. Well, I, uh, I was diagnosed with uh, triple negative breast cancer, um, actually, it's really interesting. When I looked at the date that the book was actually published, it was actually, this is really incredible, it was actually the exact date a decade ago that I received a diagnosis of triple negative breast cancer, well, actually a breast cancer. Uh, at the time, we didn't know it was triple negative, um, but uh, I was diagnosed with breast cancer a decade to the date of when this book came out, uh, which that's, I found... That's incredible. Really incredible. So um, I had, uh, you know, found I had had a mammogram, which of course we're all supposed to have, and then um, maybe six months later, I I, I noticed that I I felt a lump, and uh, I I'm a very <laughs> I'm a sort of very vigilant person, so I've I've sometimes struggle to understand people that go into denial, but it really helped me because for the first 24 hours I went completely into a state of denial. Completely, and 24 hours I woke later. I woke up and said, "No, no, no! You really need to go deal with this." So, of course, then I began the path of, "Okay, we need to go and get another mammogram." And um, you know, those times when you go, and three hours later, I was still there. And mm-hmm. by this time, you know, they're calling in the main radiologist who shows me on the screen as they do an ultrasound this mass in my breast and. Um, I say to her, oh, it looks like I have something to deal with. And she says to me, yes, I think you do. So from that point on, it really started to roll fast, which I think is a really familiar experience for people because it's such a shock, but then next thing you know, you're, you're off and running. So um, I, of course, got referred to, referred to a, the breast surgeon. We went for the biopsy, and all the way along, it was insurance like, oh, this doesn't seem like it's cancer. It, does, it doesn't seem like it. So there was all these hopes and dreams that it wouldn't be. But um, then at the biopsy, and I think there's actually a story uh, in the book that, that my husband actually said when we were at the biopsy, and he looks into the eyes of the other doctor as um, the one doctor says, I don't think this is cancer, and the other doctor just stepped, stood there, and um, he had looked into her eyes, and in his words said, I knew at that point that what we were dealing with. So anyway, the diagnose, diagnosis ended up triple negative, which is a very aggressive, very serious breast cancer, and um, by the time I had gotten into surgery, which was only a couple weeks later, it had metastasized into my lymph nodes. So at this point, I really had to... Um, 
you know, fight for my life into an aggressive chemo, radiation, and so on. And um, throughout that, you know, during, during treatment, and this is one of the things I, I, I noticed, of course, after I was done, um, you know, we're like really just trying to, we're trying to stay alive. Okay, what can be done? There's, there's often an, an active plan. You're followed very carefully. You know what you're doing. And then you finish, I finish, and bam, it's, it's like falling off the end of the world. Uh, it, it's a state of being feeling very lost. I remember the day I finished radiation, uh, I would go very early in the morning because I was, thank goodness, able to, to see my clients during this time. And um, it was like 6 o'clock in the morning. And, you know, sometimes I read these stories, bells are ringing and people are dancing, and I literally walked out of, you know, it's still dark, and all I could think to do was go down to the local pastry store and buy about two pounds of pastry and haul that home. <laughs> that was my, you know, I didn't know what to do. Well, I guess I'll buy some croissant. I didn't know what to do. Um, but then I began sort of my own journey of, of, of uh, you know, really looking at, okay, um, gosh, what just hit me, you know, and, and wanting to uh, really kind of process that and, and find my way through. And I just really... Um, had a lot of difficulty finding places, people that were experienced or could hold the emotional, traumatic journey of breast cancer in a more narrative or humanistic way. Um, I feel like there are uh, numerous behaviorally oriented groups which are, are very positive and can be very helpful. Uh, there are numerous support groups which can also be very positive and very helpful. But I felt that what was missing was an avenue where if, if those didn't necessarily fit with who you were, who I am, that there was a need to offer um, another way that people could actually process their experience that led them to kind of go through their lostness in a deeper way and then come out authentically on the other side in a way that felt like, okay, here's where I've landed. I'm not much, I'm in all my work, I, I'm, not, I'm not much of knowing what normal means. I don't, people ask me what's normal and I, <laughs> but the new normal to me didn't quite work because it didn't feel like there was ever a normal. So it always feels to me like, okay, where am I now? Who am I now? And how do I bring myself present with, you know, kind of the hand I got dealt here? And I think it might be helpful for you, for for listeners to hear a little bit how you see what you're calling and what is humanistic psychology. I know in a way you're defining it by... Um, in what you just said, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm, but can mm-hmm. you say a little more about your your view that you held sure. before this that then, sure. as far as I can tell, deepened through this experience that you really yeah. needed it in a in a powerful way. Right. Well, humanistic psychology, and my mentor was a was a, a psychologist named Jim, James Bugenthal, who wrote a book called The Search for Authenticity back in 1965 which I found in the library when I was actually in a, in a more sort of traditional psychology program and uh, at, actually at UCLA. And I was so taken by his viewpoint of existential humanistic work, which is that we all have within us an authentic self. And that what happens is that, you know, through, through varying experiences or, uh, you know, how we're raised, et cetera, et cetera, we can lose 
that authentic place within ourselves. But what's really true about this, this viewpoint is that the belief is that we, it's still there. So what, what the therapy does is to help the person find out who they are and be able to make choices from that point. So it's not about, uh, you know, giving advice or telling people who they are. It's more like guiding them to discover, well, who, you know, who, who are you and what brings you here and what are your, you know, your thoughts, your dreams, your hopes. And then from that, looking at that, there, you know, in, in our lives, there are so many ways in which we live in an existential place, things we really can't control, uh, you know, birth, death illness, uh, things that happen, both, you know, wonderful things and things that are troublesome. So that is like just being with the very essence of existence. And how do we, you know, how do you sit with that? How do you bring presence to just the very essence of existence and learn to live with the uncertainty of that, which I feel really, really associates well with the phase of cancer survivorship? Because it, it just well, I mean, in life itself, we live with uncertainty. But I think that in survivorship, there's a shadow of uncertainty that is different because it's yes. already there. It's something that you know is there, and and that can be very frightening for people. They feel, of course, terrified. What if a reoccurrence happens? So this type of therapy that I've I've been I've done all my life, um, I really found okay. This really this really is a good fit to deal mm. with some of the issues that occur. Absolutely. I'd like to give people a sense of how this sounds <laughs> in terms of, um, you know, you you. it's a workbook that you've written, but it's also mm-hmm. there's a lot of, um, of the artist in it. I wonder if you'd read that section from the introduction. The, the first section? Mm-hmm. Okay. Let me just turn there. Okay, this is, this is the beginning of the, the book, the introduction. The black angel bending over me in the darkness of the cold, stark hospital room is the last to tend to me. Through an anesthesia haze, I see the feathers of her wings lightly waving as she alights beside me. Her wingspan touches the bare walls enclosing me while I lie alone in the small metal bed. A breeze blows on my face. I look up and see kindness in her ebony eyes. Having lived with death in the corner of the room for years, this presence is no stranger to me. Has death come for me as this luminous raven woman fluttering in disguise to trick me? The angel's wing touches my arm and becomes a hand gently stroking my arm. She whispers, I have been through this. You will get through this too. In that moment, she becomes the angel of mercy, the messenger of hope, the woman who has traveled the path before me and has reached her destination alive. Once again, I have sent death skulking back into the corner to wait. Not today. The nurse, the woman... The cancer survivor finishing my care, 
leaves feathers floating around me as I stare out of the drapeless window to an urban night sky with its wires, flashing signs, and empty buildings awaiting the occupants who will arrive at day's beginning. She will not return, but the touch of her winged feathers and her tale of resilience will remain, will be felt long into the years following this first encounter with the journey of cancer survivorship. Do you want me to read more? That's a great place to to, um, stop. Um, You know, what stands out to me there is along the lines of... a way to reflect our experiences and and observe our take pay attention to ourselves and find mm-hmm. ourselves in them. You you did that from the very start, uh, because that's that's at the beginning, ten years yeah, ago. Yeah, yeah. But there's mm-hmm. still that observing voice that's saying, mm-hmm. "What is it I'm going through? What does it mean to me? What touches me?" And um. I imagine the impact of having someone be loving uh, in that circumstance, how that then is something to refer back to as you're going through through whatever you go through, and how conversely, when people are harsh or cold, how that yeah, then yeah. overlays the experience. Absolutely. Yeah. Let's talk that more about that after our break. It's about time for a break, but I'd really like to get into that more because I notice the effect of that so much on pretty much everyone that I work with. Um, yes, yes. How, uh-huh. how permeable we are in those moments to how we're treated. Absolutely. Uh, li- yeah. So, listeners, you can find links to my website and social media at the Good Grief page at Voice America for Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, etc. And to find Cheryl Crowder, you can go to CancerSurvivorSupport.com. Be back soon. Follow the Voice America Talk Radio Network on Twitter. We're at Voice America TRN. You'll get the latest fix on what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and general happenings that you should know about at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Now you don't have to miss anything when you're away from your home or office. Just go to twitter.com forward slash Voice America TRN or follow along with us at Voice America TRN, the Voice America Talk Radio Network. We're on the cutting edge of social media. Can you keep up? We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Listening to Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. To reach Cheryl or her guest today, please call 1 866 472 5792. That's 1 866 472 5792. You may also send an email to Cheryl Jones at weatheringgrief.com. Now, back to Good Grief. Welcome back. This is your host, Cheryl Jones, and I've been talking with Cheryl Crowder, author of Surviving the Storm, 
a workbook for telling your cancer story. Um, and before the break, Cheryl, uh, I was commenting that to be touched with such mercy at the beginning of your, you know, kind of the the worst shocking moment mm-hmm. of realization and then immediate, you know, demanding everything. Um, that, that, exactly. That, that I, I can imagine why that moment would stay with you. Um, yeah. Because... The other kinds of moments that stay with people are moments of of harshness or coldness seem to just uh, leech on to people with cancer uh, that I yes. talk to, and maybe people yes. in any kind of trauma that that just makes such a difference. Well, exactly, and and I, you know, like you, I, I actually I have experienced, um, you know, some of the things you're talking about. Some where it's been more abrupt, and I certainly have heard stories from some of the people that I have seen that have been um, really devastating and have and really consequential, and and how they think about themselves and and um, you know what they're going through, and it's interesting. I I. I do think when, when I, you know, was, was writing this book and listening to people and thinking about it, um, there is a, a, a bit of a pressure that can happen in, in the world of cancer, which is different from other illnesses, which is a pressure to think positively, mm. which is a pressure to see it as a gift, which is mm-hmm. a pressure that somehow if you aren't doing well, you're doing something wrong. And you know what, Cheryl, that doesn't seem to show up as much in, in other areas where people are struggling with illness or treatment for an illness. So I think that's, that's part of what, of what we're talking about, is there's some kind of um, spoken or unspoken um, message about how you're supposed to be as a person with cancer. Yes. Um, that kind of, come on, get over, get over it kind of... Um, message um, can be can be really hard and um, so yeah I mean I, I could certainly I, I, oh, I, I, so, I so agree with that and and it's it's often both spoken and unspoken yeah uh-huh, uh-huh. you know things like uh, why did you get this cancer Right, which right. is a little bit like the question, "When did you start beating your wife?" I mean, there's <laughs> there's no way to answer it that's self supporting. Yeah. Right, right. Uh, other than, are you insane? <laughs> right, <might> be <laughs> the right, exactly, but exactly. It's so so common, and even if you're not hearing it out loud, most people I talk to are hearing it very loudly in their own heads at first. And maybe especially in survivorship, post-treatment, because then what are you supposed to be doing to make it not come back? Right, and to not fear that it will come back, which is, I think, uh, one of the things that I really address in this book and like to address with people uh, that I work with, and obviously myself, although I feel like I've I've addressed this, you know, pretty deeply. So um, I, of course, you know, if I get a diagnosis tomorrow, you know, we'll talk then. <laughs> but but um, what I've noticed when I'm working with people is if I just really make it okay for them to be afraid, 
Yes. You know, to say, you know, well, of course you feel afraid. Of course you feel exhausted. Of course you are worried. I watch how people relax and feel like, you know what, it's okay. I, I didn't do anything wrong. And I always say to people, you know, you drew the short straw. And yes. it's not your fault. And you have every you know, reason to feel frightened, uh, to feel like you don't know what's next, to feel lost. And it's really important, I feel like, to give people the message that they get to have the space, whatever that is. You know, it's not some arbitrary uh, limit or, or, you know, you should take this or if you eat this or if you exercise this way, then everything will, will go a certain way. So just giving people the space to be with what they're experiencing and then talk about it and, again, tell the story of it. I really think people sometimes, we all need to tell our stories until we move on to the next chapter of our story. And that's the narrative aspect of, of what you're talking about, mm-hmm, which mm-hmm. to me seems so connected with being being human, with humanistic yeah. viewpoints, yeah. that people's story is how they enter their own lives in, in a way. Exactly. And, and be able to, to know their stories within which is probably even more essential than, than the story that you express, you know, to others. But kind of being able to know, like, who you are. And one thing that I think I really want to make clear is that when I talk about, uh, you know, telling your story and, and your own, you know, story of your cancer, your cancer survivorship, I'm not referring to a story that sometimes we get caught in the story of we think, oh, I'm this. Like, mm. I'm, uh, I'm a negative person, or I'm a person who uh, likes this and will never change. That's not what I'm talking about. It's not that kind of story where you create an identity that you get stuck with, because I think that right. would be a way that you get stuck and not really move through. I'm talking about the actual, you know, story of, of, of you. Well, uh, you know... I haven't had cancer. I just lived next to cancer for a very long time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But mm-hmm. but what I believe about that experience for myself is that it stripped away over time a lot of things I thought about myself or ways I had of uh, defending myself, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. and what was left was a very different person than who mm-hmm. I wa- uh, who I thought I was at the start. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, that those were sort of layers of learning and and um, fear and whatever. But they but they weren't necessarily who I deeply am. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so I wonder if there's a way that we're talking about that 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 this kind of real trauma and deep negative experience has a tendency to strip some of those things away potentially and bring a different meaning into things. Well, I think, yeah, I think that's a beautiful point. And, and the word you use, potential, I think is, is really right on. That the potential to, um, like you said, learn. And, and you are, I mean, I consider you also a cancer survivor um, in, in terms of your own experience, you know, so close with cancer. Um, because I feel like the people who are involved with whomever it is that has the cancer, you know, partners, families, friends, all have, there's such an impact. Um, 
And oftentimes I feel like uh, that group is neglected, not asked about how they're feeling, um, not treated as though they're really part of the whole dynamic, which I think is 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 really true. You, you're part of you're part of the experience so closely that being touched by it creates, like you're saying, for you um, a whole other way to look at your life too. Absolutely. Well, and and one one statistic. I'm not much for statistics, but this one sticks with me that um, that caregivers, as we'll call them, carers, mm-hmm. are twice as likely to suffer from depression as the person who's ill. Right. Right. Um, so, and I think I think it does have to do with um, maybe even diminishing it for ourselves. Uh, well, yeah. You know, I mean, I've touched it numerous. The, like, if the, I see a couple that someone says, you know, how, how can I possibly um, have say what I need, or how could I possibly be annoyed with with this person because they're sick, or you know, and they essentially saying, I really have no. I feel like I can't take any space in the relationship because of what's happening. And boy, does that you know, crash people into depression and anxiety and and burnout. And not to mention um, interrupts the connection. I mean, I feel fortunate that Mm -hmm. um, there was an insistence on my my wife's part that Mm -hmm. that wasn't the way we were going to do it. Right, right. Because I might have gone that direction. I was that sort of person. Mm -hmm, (laughs) But mm -hmm, mm -hmm. no, that was not... You know, we were in it together for sure. I consider that a great blessing to be to be invited to have my own experience of it and um, take care of myself in ways I needed to at times. Um, because and, and that's like another saying, pressure. In your relationship, it really created more intimacy. No kidding, and that yeah. does happen. You know, mm-hmm. we're not we're not taught. I mean, people do in fact find meaning, don't they? Absolutely. And, uh, you know, I think it's important to um, say that meaning doesn't mean meaning like all capital letters. I think sometimes there can be yet another pressure like, oh, my gosh, I've had cancer. Now I need to uh, I need to build a foundation. I need to uh, write a book. I need to uh, (laughs) climb a mountain. I need to do something really exceptional for that to be meaningful. And so I'd like to really bring that to like meaning, like the intimacy between you you and your partner or just even you, you take a walk and you feel like, oh my gosh, look at me, I'm on my feet and I'm, I'm, I'm actually still here and, you know, looking into the eyes of your child or, you know, the, the snuggling with your cat, um, all of those things are really meaningful. So I yes. feel it's really important to bring that into the whole realm of, of finding meaning. Well, I, I like the way you're putting that in the sense that, um, you know, this show is about people who have done something n- noticeable. Mm-hmm. But I know many people who've, who've quietly changed. Exactly. And, and it shows itself in some way that is not public. Right, um, right. And um, just as meaningful. 
Absolutely, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I'm glad you're you're talking about that because I never want to give the impression people have to do some big deal thing to have mm-hmm. transformed through their losses. <laughs> you know, right? right. Sometimes right. it's just feeling different about being alive is plenty. <laughs> oh, and as we know, with any kind of really deep loss, you know, it's I certainly relate to very very much. That sometimes, you know, it's meaningful just to, to know that, well, here I am, I, I get up in the morning, you know, I make my tea, and um, I just go out into the world, and, 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 you know, some days that is a lot of meaning, <laughs> you know. I think this would be a great um, moment for you to read the part of your book that, you, that you've uh, kind of labeled Integrating Cancer Experience, because it really is... Uh, grappling with this idea we're talking about. Okay, you know. now let's see. That's probably the. Let me. I don't. I don't know what page that's on. I'm sorry. <laughs> Do you want me to read it? <laughs> I have it right in front. Of <laughs> Can you give me the, the first sentence? <laughs> sorry. I don't know either. <laughs> yeah. Would you like me to read it? Sure. Okay. Here's what you said. I've come to believe. Okay, great. Tell me what this... I wrote. <laughs> I've come to believe that the essential aspect of moving into survivorship in an integrated and holistic way is for all those involved to have the chance to tell their stories and to explore their inner world in a way that integrates emotional care into the other aspects of survivorship. There's a large amount of information that can periodically change and appear contradictory, no kidding, making it difficult to plow through and understand. I watch eyes glaze over as another expert talks rather than listens. I have looked into the faces of fear and distress and have myself experienced similar things. However, my experience does not define yours, nor should there be a generic mode of treatment. While a standard treatment modality may be practical for emotional care, it just doesn't work very well. It's all too common for people to end up drifting drifting back into an isolated state that does not promote healing and well-being. A humanistic perspective expands upon the learning-based behavioral and psychosocial resources that are currently available to cancer patients and their families and provides options that extend beyond the support group and medical modes of treatment. A contemplative view opens up an alternative to the mode of tolerating or managing the issues of cancer and brings it into the realm of exploration, awareness, and acceptance. While it is tempting to find solutions and fix the problem, there is much to be gained from moving toward the difficulties of the emotional residue of cancer. As Andrea Levine writes in her book, The Healing I Took Birth For, it seems that one of my greatest teachers and, or teachings came from the times in my life when illness came upon me. The gift in the wound that illness seems to provide for so many is to remind the heart to move toward difficulties rather than away from them. Yeah, I just found that section. <laughs> yeah. yeah. How was it to hear your words written back? I mean, you know, it was really nice. As I was listening, I was feeling very um, calmed. And, um, you know, it. Uh, I, I'm, I'm really, it's nice to hear it. I don't know if I've ever heard anyone read quite like a whole passage from my book and out loud to me. And... Um, 
what I liked about hearing you read, this is actually kind of cool that that happened, um, is that I really felt um, the intention that I have in this book coming through, which is to really um, provide something that I hope will help people in their healing. And I felt it as you were reading. So that was really kind of a nice experience. Wonderful. Yeah. And and I yeah. think that I think that the heart of the book in terms of what you invite people to do, you know, there are many sections of the book that, that leave a lot of room for people to write. And to me there are um, there's a sense of people being prompted to tell their stories. Um, you're, there's no assumption of what the story might be, just um, places that might bring about, uh, bring out some experiences. Um, and, and, and this sort of explains, this section I just read sort of explains um, why that's the way you look at it, that it really the healing is going to come from the telling. That's why support groups work, I think. That's why support groups work, and that's why if people get to have relationships um, such as your own, uh, such as some of the ones I have, where people are really able to um, and want to listen and want to be a part of it. And I think, unfortunately and very sadly, many people, many people um, don't have that um, I've come to, you know, have such compassion for people who go through this journey by themselves Absolutely. or in relationships that are not supportive of them, that may even uh, abandon them during this process. And so I'm hoping, you know, it's interesting when, when I released this book into the world, you know, okay, you're not mine anymore, you go now. The image I keep having when I think about this book, Surviving the Storm, Going into the World, is I see a pair of hands holding the book. And that's Mm. my image. I just want this to go to places where, you know, maybe they have no one to really talk to. Not saying that's the only reason, but it's a large reason of of why I wanted to provide, um, you know, a format, a, a structure, a template the other reason is that I felt like um, there are numerous uh, books, films, programs where people are telling their stories, which, which is fabulous. But I had never seen a venue where someone said, why don't you tell me your story? I'm not going to tell you mm. mine right now. I want to hear yours. Yeah. This is your time. And, this is and you. ident- uh, we'll talk more about this after the break, but identifying your story to begin with, because those things you're talking about, people know their story already. They've figured right. out how they want to talk about it. And right, so the right. idea that there's real, there's really work involved, um, I think, is very important. So let's come back to that when we when we get back. And you can find Cheryl Crowder at CancerSurvivorSupport.com, and we'll be back after the break. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. 
Explore the power of natural healing with Howard Strauss. Join us each week for an informative program that will help you learn effective healing methods using natural remedies. Howard's guests include top researchers, authors, and experts who will share their views on a variety of natural products and healing methods that really work. Tune in to The Power of Natural Healing with Howard Strauss, Mondays at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network wherever you go. In addition to listening live, you can check out information about your favorite talk show hosts, discover new talk show personalities, add shows to your list of favorites, and listen to all our show archives on demand. All from your iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market, and get ready to tune in. The Voice America mobile app, powered by Aircast. Real Life Solutions, Voice America Health and Wellness. You are listening to Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. To reach Cheryl or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to Cheryl Jones at weatheringgrief.com. Now, back to Good Grief. Welcome back to Good Grief. I'm here with Cheryl Crowder, author of Surviving the Storm, and we were talking um, before the break about um, just the importance of people having a chance to find their story, not just to tell it, but to to find it for themselves, because... um, you know, I think that's an evolving process for many people. I, I even notice in the cancer support group that I run how much people's stories about themselves, not just about themselves and cancer, but about themselves, period, change over the course of time. Mm-hmm. And, and what an unfolding that can be sometimes. Well, I think, I think it's always an unfolding, actually. <clears throat> I mean, I'm... I'm so tremendously grateful to be here after a decade, particularly considering the kind of cancer that I had. But of course, you know, my story has shifted and grown and changed, and I and I I feel like that's part of again that your story is not stuck in one one space. And you you once you finish with a particular chapter in a way that feels authentic, then the next is you move on to the next one, and you know, and and you don't you know if you're really in an authentic place you don't know exactly how that chapter is going to evolve and end. You really don't know. It's, it's a work in progress. It's your life. So right. um, I feel like, yeah, people, people have, you know, for the rest of their lives have a shadow that um, is with them. Um, because, you know, there, there's, cancer goes into remission, and that's a wonderful thing. But, but it's a very pesky disease. And, um, you know, so far they, they haven't, isolated, uh, you know, a, a cure, largely because it's such a complex disease with, you know, so many different cancers, so many different variations on, on even a, a one particular cancer that it's, um, it's a daunting task. And I, I salute the researchers who are working, you know, tirelessly um, to find out, you know, what this is all, what, you know, how to sort of get to the, the nub of, of this disease. So, yeah. And this book is designed, and, and I even I think I even say at the end, you know, that this is a book that can be uh, revisited throughout 
the years of your survivorship, um, particularly at times that can be triggering. It uh, could be um, a recurrence. It could be the death or recurrence of someone close to you. Uh, it can be a, a scan or a test or blood test. It can be a scare when you go for your, your appointment and that this can trigger an event that may have happened, you know, some years ago. And again, to really make that like a norm and it's normalizing it. It's like that's right. That's just part of the path. And, and what can you learn now from what's happening with you with this latest event or fear or sorrow uh, that has happened for you and what uh, there is a sense of what can you make of it I'm thinking of someone uh, I'm I work with who um, had to have scans I don't know every three months or so mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. was was having was not a highly fearful person but before mm-hmm. the scan she'd be in terror basically yeah And what she decided to do, which which I thought was fairly brilliant, was that during those days uh, leading up to a test, she took it as an opportunity to contemplate death. Mm, That's, yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, Because Mm -hmm. that's really what it was about in some sense. And she just invited it. She just said, okay, that's what my... That's what I'm going to be thinking about those days. And she figured out some ways to, to... you know, ritualize that. And Mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. so the things we can do if we're willing to face what we're feeling and and allow what we're feeling uh, are pretty um, creative and artistic. We have capacity as people. It's like you're talking about facing forward. You're talking about, I'm going to walk into this. I'm just going to walk into this fear or this grief or, you know, my own death. And I'm just going to walk right into that and, you know, touch it, put my arms around it, cry with it, yell at it, whatever. But I'm, I'm going to walk in and I'm going to see what, what's there. Um, it's incredibly powerful and profound. And, of course, as you and I might predict, her fear went way down. Yes. Because adding the fear of fear was a very substantial part of of the panic. Trying to not feel afraid doesn't make it go uh, quiet. No, in fact, it wants, then it, then fear starts screaming at you and jumping up and down and taking you by the throat. You know, it's like, I, I, I always tell people and I tell myself this too, you know, we can't give that much power to fear. You know, it's like at this point in my life, how I was like, you know, you know, I am not willing to give my fear that much power. I'll, I'll be with it, but you know, it doesn't get to like wrap itself around me and you know, throw me down. <laughs> um, and uh, and I'm seeing you know, your finger kind of, like, kind of you know, pointing. You stay in your exactly. corner. <laughs> I'll let that's you right. be there. But <laughs> that's right. That's right. But you, you know, you're not the boss of me, Mister Fear. You know. <laughs> So, yeah, and I think people really, I've, I've helped people, I, I hope help people be able to give way less fat power to their fear, you know, be with it, experiencing, but know it as it's an emotion. Emotions run through us. Um, well, uh, they run you know, through us up, and then they move. Yeah, 
You bring up many, many, many hours that uh, my wife and I spent with Stephen and Andrea Levine. It was lovely mm-hmm. that you quoted Andrea. Um, and, you know, being... Uh, being told, you know, if you really allow your fear and you're observing it, you might actually not want it to go when it drifts away. You'll be so interested. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I was like, oh, yeah, right, sure. But it happened. Yes. Uh, you know, that did in fact happen that, oh, look what's going on inside of me. And, you know, just getting so um, attentive that mm-hmm. when it naturally moved and, and faded... There was a sense of, wait a minute, I'm still looking. Uh, right. Or, hey, you're, you've been with me. Where'd you go? Where'd you go? Exactly. Hey, um, where'd you I, go? Exactly. Yeah. Uh, that think, seemed think, an astronomically impossible idea to start out right. with. But right. it's how it works. Yeah, well, what a learn. And, you know, don't you think, and certainly this is your, your area, don't you think that grief is also that way? It's like if you really, you know, there's a way in which walking into the grief and, and, the, and all of those depthful feelings of grief and loss that also, too, that it can be hard sometimes to say, ooh, but if I, but if I move through this, you know, maybe I'll lose something, Um you know, I think that's, I can relate to that, and I think that's not an unfamiliar place also to to be, you know? Well, and, and maybe because of how I look at things, I think a lot of what we're talking about in terms of um, dealing with cancer is a grief experience. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a loss. Yes. A loss of, you know, your picture of your life, a loss of health, a mm-hmm. loss of... Uh, you know, autonomy sometimes, all kinds of losses yes. are a yeah. part of that. So I think that's, yes. they're, they're synonymous. Yes, yes it is, yes. It is mm-hmm. the same in some way, mm-hmm. that um, right. experience of turning towards your feelings, for sure. Right. And I find that people who um, can oftentimes, if, if, I mean, there's also angers that can occur, um, you know, in terms of a cancer diagnosis and, you know, how come me and, and wait a minute, but I, but I lived healthy and et cetera. And what I find is like, it's really important to help move through the anger too, um, because of just what you're saying. It's like, that's, anger often I think leads to a, a loss that we have had no control over, um, that it, it wasn't the way we planned it. And there's a way in which I think that it's really important to be able to, of course, feel that anger and, you know, r- you know, do whatever you need to do, rage and pound and scream, and then realize, well, and, and, <laughs> you know, and now. Yes. Um, yeah. And then. Yeah, and then. And sometimes when I say and, it doesn't even have anything after. It's just and. And. <laughs> and. Would you, would you share that other passage? Because I think it, it does intersect with what we're talking sure. about, the, sure. the um, gift of cancer section. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I was saying that uh, this is one of my favorite uh, sections of this book that I've, I've written. It's called Pink Has a Shadow. <laughs> <laughs> I remember hearing about the gift of cancer before I had cancer. Being a person who believes in transformation, I thought it had a certain ethereal elegance to it. I mean, look at Lance Armstrong, I thought, before the confessions of all that steroid use. He won the Tour de France and started a foundation. 
Other famous people had come forward with messages of profound learning leading to life changes. Their stories were often deeply moving. They spoke of misery and affliction, which had not been chosen, but rather thrust upon them. The courage of their choices in the face of trauma and suffering was inspirational. Yes, cancer was a life-threatening disease, and yet it appeared to be a precious present wrapped in a cloak of darkness for so many. When I was told I had an aggressive breast cancer, my first thought was not, thank you, I'm absolutely thrilled with this gift. It was all I could do not to hyperventilate, keel over, and hit my head. I called my husband. He was not excited either. We did not open a bottle of champagne and dance wildly about the room in elation, nor were we happy about having to tell our then 14-year-old son the news. As an ordinary woman living an ordinary life, I just kept putting one foot in front of the other, hoping that my ordinary life, which suddenly seemed remarkably precious, would continue. You know, I I feel as if um, the only problem with this gift thing, well, one of the problems with it, is that um, it gives people the idea they can skip ahead in the book. Hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I think you can see what, I can see what has come out of that experience in my life. I'm what, 22 years past the mm-hmm. death of my wife? Um, mm-hmm. uh, it's, it's obvious to anyone who's listening to my show, for instance. Yeah. You can yeah. see, yeah. you know, you now have this tangible thing, your yeah. book, that's come out and many more intangibles. But mm-hmm. that is not where we begin. No. That's a mysterious no. outgrowth that sometimes occurs. And, and well, I think that's the injury that that gift idea does to us it's yeah it's injurious in so many ways and i agree because it does um it doesn't bring to consciousness that this is work that this is something that will be some of the hardest work that any of us will ever do in terms of who we are and who we are becoming and who we will become and moving through uh events in our lives such as cancer and to pretend that it doesn't sometimes take you down to the mat, I do think is a disservice. Because it, in a way it says that, that, to me it says to a person, whether myself or anybody else, it says like, I don't think that you can do this. And yes. I prefer to say to people, you know what, this is going to be the hardest thing you've ever done in your life, but you know what, you can do it. That's a great place to end for the day. Thanks, Cheryl. And, and uh, audience, you can find Cheryl Crowder at CancerSurvivorSupport.com. Next week, I'll have Deb, uh, Deb Hart, author of Tug at My Heart, Pink is the New Black, which tells the story of her son's death at 22 and her subsequent cancer diagnosis. This has been Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. I look forward to being with you again next week for another meaningful conversation. Thank you so much for joining us for Good Grief. Please come back next Wednesday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time for another edition featuring your host, Cheryl Jones, on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have a meaningful week. Abre-me.